Good evening, everyone. Welcome to church. How's everyone doing? Good. Well, I hope you've had a good week. It's nice to have a regular church service on a Saturday evening, isn't it? But I do think that one challenge we have um, coming to an evening service is that we have a full day of events that's just gone by. And I think if you're like me, sometimes you probably find it a bit hard to get your attention on the Lord and probably takes a little more extra effort to do so. So let's, um, to help us do that, let's um, take a moment to ourselves right now. Let's be quiet and still. Let's close our eyes and pray. Give the happenings of the day to the Lord and turn your attention to Him now. Let's do that.
praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever.
Father, these songs of praise remind us that you are our glorious King, our gentle Savior, and our almighty God. And we are united in our worship of you. Please help us continue to engage our minds and our hearts with you, Lord, that we may have an increased vision of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Say hi to someone and have a seat. Good evening, church. My name is Tony and this is from my family. Casey and Mom, Jay, Toby, Nat, Dad and Christian. In this season of Advent, we have a special scripture reading to bring to you from Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 7 and John chapter 1, verse 14. They talk about Joseph and Mary's journey to Bethlehem for the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, who made his dwelling among us. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up, also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Last weekend, we lit the candle of hope to prepare our hearts from for the coming of our promised Saviour. Today, we will light the candle of peace. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is born. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to church. Thank you so much, the Wright family, for um, bringing to us our Advent reading today. My name is Kanaina, and I'm part of the ministry team here at Subi Church. We're now going to do scripture at Subi together. For those who are new to our services, this is a time for us as a church family to memorize Bible scripture together and to be encouraged by God's word to us. This month, our memory verse talks about God who is Emmanuel. We'll see later on that Emmanuel means God with us, and that's a wonderful thought especially in the season of Advent, that Jesus, the Son of God, would make his dwelling among us to bring peace to our broken and sinful world. You'll find scripture at Subi cards on your seats um, or nearby you, um, so you can read off of that, or it should also come up behind me. Let's say this together. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Good job. That sounded great. Well, children, thank you for joining us for that. You're now free to go to Subi Kids. 
For those new to Subi Church, you might find a connect card that looks like this next to you or um, beside you. Feel free to fill one in at any point in the service and you can drop it off in the box in the back. Or you can also scan in a QR code, uh, which you'll find on the back of the chairs to submit one online. An important part of our worship to God is the giving of our offering. And that's a way for us to contribute to kingdom work. And you can participate in this by dropping off your offering in the offering box in the back. Or you could also do an online giving if you prefer. You'll find leaflets also in the back with instructions on how to do that in the cubby hole. So let's take a moment to pray for our offering together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your son Jesus who came into our world to bring peace and healing to a broken world. We thank you for your gospel that saves us and reconciles us back to you. So many in our community and in our world need to hear the gospel and to know Jesus. So as we give, we ask for your blessings upon them as they're used for kingdom work, to care for those in need, to encourage your church, and to preach the good news. In Christ's name we pray all this. Amen. We have some upcoming events to announce today. Firstly is the Christmas weekend. We'll have two family-friendly services on Christmas Day that falls on a Monday this year at 9 and 10.45 a.m. We'll also be having our normal Sunday services on the 24th, also at 9 and 10.45. Since they'll all be family-friendly, everyone will be in the auditorium together, so Subi Kids will not be running on those days. And you're most welcome to invite your family, invite your friends to our Christmas services. Feel free to take home the invitation cards that you see on your seats. There are also a few more in the cubby hole in the back of the auditorium. So do note that there will be no Saturday service that weekend, so no service on the 23rd of December. On Christmas Day, Subi Church will be hosting a Christmas lunch for those in the community who would otherwise be spending this day on their own. It's something that we do yearly, um, also as an outreach opportunity to share Christ's love and joy with the community and to also share the real meaning of Christmas. So it will go from 12 to 2 p.m., uh, not here, but at the third place, just next to Salvos, next door. And we're looking for people to help with the lunch in various ways. So this will include welcoming guests, preparing food, um, washing, cleaning up, and also providing transport for people to and from the church. So if you're able to help, and if you'd like to, uh, please let us know on your Connect cards. Next, we'll talk about Advent devotionals. As you would have noticed by now, um, next slide, thank you. Um, as you would have noticed by now, we do Advent readings each weekend as we light the Advent candles. So to coincide with that, we have weekly devotionals for you to read through the month of December. So if you'd like to sign up to receive them, please indicate that on your Connect card. Next is more on our Subi Kids summer schedule. And as I mentioned earlier, there, will no, there won't be Subi Kids classes on the 24th and 25th Christmas weekend. Neither will there be um, for the following weekend on the 30th and 31st. And then for the month of January, Subi Kids will only be running at the Sunday 9 a.m. services. So that means no classes will be running for our Saturday services in January. And this is just a way for caring for our volunteers as they get to have a break. And lastly, there will be baptisms happening on Sunday the 31st of December. If you're interested in being baptized and you'd like to know more, please let us know on your Connect card. That's all the announcements for today. I'm now going to invite Jenny to come up and lead us in our congregational prayer.
Good evening, church. We now have the privilege of going into the holy of holies, the most holy place, to bring our hearts to our Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are the one who sits on the throne at the centre of the universe. Your glory is higher than the heavens. And yet you care for us in intimate detail. We praise you for your awesome greatness and your great love. Thank you for sending us Jesus, your own beloved son. As Christmas is approaching, May the message that you sent Jesus to save us from our sins reach many people deeply. We thank you for all the opportunities to present the Christmas story. We pray for the Christmas services in this church and the Christmas lunch that follows. We ask for your guidance, O Holy Spirit, to all those who are preparing and taking part, that every program will commend the Lord Jesus to everyone who comes. And please open our eyes to see opportunities to invite and speak to others. Lord Jesus, this is your church here. You made us your own by your death and resurrection. You are our saviour, our champion, our shepherd and our Lord. We often fail you but there is always forgiveness with you. May we always return to you in repentance. But may we also grow in grace and our knowledge of you. O oh God, we pray that this church will be characterised by love. May we know your love, the love of Christ in all its fullness. May we love you, O oh God, with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. May we love one another from our hearts. May we love newcomers and visitors. May we love the people who are part of our world during the week. May we look at people the way you look at them. We are commanded to do these things, but indeed, oh God, we need you to work in us, to will and to do what you want. And today, oh Lord, we have the privilege of hearing your word please grant that the Holy Spirit will empower Pastor David as he preaches your word to us. And please open our hearts and minds to you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for this privilege of bringing our prayers to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. In our Bible reading today, we will revisit the story of Jesus' healing of a sick woman and Jairus' daughter. Our scripture reading is taken from Mark 5, 21 to 36, 
If you are able, I invite you to stand with me as we read from God's word. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up, uh, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher any more? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. You may now take a seat. I'm so sorry. But come, come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. Take me to her. Do you hear that? No, what is this? Jairus, while you were gone. No. Why do I hear mourners and flutes? I said not to do that. She Your was daughter sick. daughter passed away. We had to make arrangements quickly. No, no, I went to find the teacher. He was going to heal her. I know who you are. Let's not trouble him anymore. Michal is with Nili's body. No! No! I was kidding, Jesus! We went as fast as I could. Emergency. And you had to rush to the emergency department. Uh, patients presenting to the emergency department are treated in order of their urgency based on a triage scale from categories 1 to 5. Category 1 is the most urgent, uh, major motor vehicle accidents, heart attacks, asthma attacks, and uh, those patients are treated 
immediately, uh, doctors drop everything and treat Category 1 patients. Category 5 patients are the least urgent. People turn up with uh, ingrown toenails, uh, the hiccups, uh, sunburn, and uh, they are asked to wait. In our Bible passage today, there is a 12-year-old girl who is dying and needing urgent help. She is triage category one. And there's a woman who has had a chronic problem for 12 years. She is triage category five. Uh, any doctor today who treated the woman first and failed to treat the 12-year-old girl uh, would be sued and lose their registration. If because of the failed treatment, the girl subsequently died, well, there could be criminal charges laid against the doctor. Now, in our passage today, Jesus is on his way to heal a 12-year-old girl who is dying, but on the way, he stops. He stops for a woman with a chronic condition, and as a result, the 12-year-old girl dies. He doesn't get to her. Now, Jesus didn't need to go to the girl to heal her. As we've seen in his other miracles, he could have healed her from afar. And she wouldn't have died. Why didn't he? Why didn't he do that? Let's take a look together. We are in the third talk in our series, The Power and the Goodness of Jesus. And last week we looked at part one of this story and we saw that there was a man named Jairus who was a religious leader and he comes and he, he falls at Jesus' feet. This was staggering because the religious establishment, they had rejected Jesus. But Jairus falls at Jesus' feet out of desperation and deference. Uh, this is a significant act for one with such a high position. Jairus believed Jesus was being used by God. And so he seeks out the one who he had heard had healed so many, and he falls at Jesus' feet, and he pleads that Jesus would just do one more healing. Please, just heal my daughter. One more healing, Jesus. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Literally, my little daughter is at the end. And I am at the end, Jesus, of my resources. I can't just sit and watch her die. But if you don't come, Jesus, she is going to die. So Jesus went with him. Jesus' pity was never separated from his power. And Jairus' heart must have been thumping through his chest, right, as he is walking towards his house, hoping beyond hope that his daughter will hold on until Jesus gets there. But on the way, there is an interruption. Jesus has an encounter with a woman who delays his progress. This woman has been bleeding from her womb for, we're told, 12 years, which would have been debilitating. 
to say the least. In addition, her bleeding made her unclean under Jewish law. And so anyone she touched, she would make unclean. So she would have been, she would have been shut out of civil life, of religious life. She would have been isolated. She would have been outcast. And her uncleanness would have been the source of constant embarrassment and shame. But if Jesus deals with this woman, it will be a major delay for Jesus getting to Jairus' daughter. And for Jairus, there is nothing more urgent right now than the life of his daughter. But Jesus stops. You can imagine, Jairus, Jesus, what are you doing? Please don't stop. We can come back. We can deal with this woman in a few moments. She's got a chronic condition. My daughter, her condition is urgent. She's about to die. Why are you stopping? Any doctor today who treated the woman and let the girl die would be guilty of malpractice. But Jesus stops and deals with the woman. He is in complete control at every moment. Jesus is a picture of calm. He will not be hurried. He's a picture of calm as he moves in the sovereign purposes of his father. The woman touches Jesus' cloak. Power leaves Jesus. It fills the woman and she's instantly healed. But while Jesus was still speaking, we read, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now, these words would have been like daggers in Jairus' heart. His worst fears have been realized. Jesus, if, if you hadn't stopped, you, you could have been there. My daughter would not have died. Why weren't you there, Jesus? Have you ever said that to God? Why weren't you there? Why weren't you there? Why weren't you there when my little newborn child died? Why weren't you there when that drunk driver went across the median strip and hit the car that my wife was in? Why weren't you there, God? We'll see the answer to that question in a moment. The delay caused by healing this woman has has been costly in stopping to heal a less urgent condition Jesus has allowed a life to be lost now this was not an error in judgment there is something deeper going on isn't there overhearing what they said Jesus told him don't be afraid just believe storms in life are inevitable Fear is optional. Jesus calls on Jairus to trust. The events are very much still in God's control. Jesus has the power to render the delay meaningless. In fact, because of the delay, both the woman and Jairus get far more than they ask for. If Jesus had let the woman anonymously disappear without uh, after she was healed, would anyone have believed her if she told them that she was no longer unclean? Would she have been accepted back into society? By stopping and making her publicly tell her story, Jesus was declaring to the world that she wasn't just healed physically, but he had restored her in every way. 
And Jesus purposely delays his going to Jairus' daughter until she dies. So Jairus could experience the power and the goodness of Jesus in a way that he could only dream of. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. So only the inner circle of the disciples are allowed to accompany Jesus. This is the first time that Jesus separates out just these three. Jesus could only give himself intimately to a few. And as he does that, these three then channel their personal teaching back to the others. It's a great model of leadership. You invest deeply in a few who then invest deeply in a few and so on. Uh, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Now, ancient Middle Eastern expressions of grief and mourning were not like our Western expressions today. At modern Western funerals, people talk in whispers. Everybody moves slowly and quietly, not wanting to cause a disturbance. There's signs on the door, quiet please. There's soft music. The atmosphere is somber. But if you walked into a funeral in the ancient world, you wouldn't even think it was a funeral. You would think it was a contemporary art event. Right? In the ancient Middle East, you expressed your grief loudly. You wailed. You howled. Uh, you, you had instruments playing. You tore your clothes. Right? So if you go to a modern Western funeral today, you, you wear your best clothes, don't you? But back in the uh, ancient times, you wore something that you didn't mind ripping up. Perhaps the jumper with the reindeer on it that your mum bought you for Christmas or your wife bought you that you, you told her you really liked but you hated. You would wear that so you could rip it up. Very different. And in, in addition to family and friends wailing, you would hire professional wailers who were trained in the art of howling and wailing. And they set the tone to show that there was grief in this house. What a job being a professional wailer. Right? Imagine the job interview. Okay, let's hear you wail. All right? Okay, you got the job. That's fantastic. Now, flutes were played to express mourning with solemn notes. You can see this in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah 48. Therefore my heart moans for Moab like a flute, and my heart moans like a flute for the people of Keheris, for the riches they gained have perished. So flutes were used especially on the death of a child, and louder instruments were used on the death of adults. And flute playing was considered so essential at funerals that even the poorest had to hire two flutes and one wailing woman. He went in and he said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Now Jesus knows the child is dead. But he's saying, I'm about to take her by the hand. So her death is not a permanent death. It's just a temporary sleep. But they laughed at him. And, and their reaction is not surprising, is it? Because uh, death is normally final. 
I mean, the child is blue. They've seen the girl take her last breath some time ago. And then this healer rocks up and tells them that what they've seen is wrong. Who does he think he is? You're too late, Jesus. Don't make a fool of yourself. You might be a great healer, but this girl is beyond healing. Now, they'd seen Jesus' power to heal, but they had no concept of a power that might bring someone back from the dead. The world today still mocks and laughs at the power of Jesus as if it is a fairy tale. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and he went in where the child was. Now, he could have done the miracle in front of all of them, but he's not there to entertain. He's not there to prove a point. He took her by the hand. Touching a dead person made a Jewish person unclean. And so no other religious leader would take uh, the hand of a dead girl in theirs because it would make them unclean. But Jesus takes the girl's hand. Now, Jesus does not have to touch the girl to heal her. We've seen this in his other miracles. He could have said to Jairus, when Jairus came to him, he could have said, Jairus, your daughter is healed. But he doesn't do that. While no other religious leader would be willing to touch her, he holds the girl's hand in an act of beautiful tenderness. And he says to her, Talitha kum. Which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Now, Talitha kum, Talitha kum is in the Aramaic language. Aramaic was the most commonly used language among ordinary Jewish people and is most likely to have been the language used by Jesus in his daily life. Hebrew also was in common use. Uh, it was used for the Holy Scriptures. And, also, and so the religious scholars used that language. And remember in Luke chapter 4, Jesus speaks Hebrew as he reads from the Scriptures in the synagogue. In addition, the region of Judea and Jerusalem was part of the Eastern Roman Empire and they spoke Greek. And they used Latin for legal and military matters. That's why the sign, remember the sign that was fastened to Jesus' cross? It was written in three languages, the languages that the people were familiar with. I know you can read this and I don't need to translate it for you, but that's the cross that was translated, that, that was, sorry, that was nailed to the cross. That was the sign that was nailed to the cross. That's Aramaic and then Latin and then Greek. They were the languages that, that the people were familiar with. And so Jesus would have been familiar with four languages, most probably. And the one that he spoke depended on who he was speaking to and the contents, the audience that he was speaking to. Here he speaks in Aramaic because this is the language most commonly used between Jewish people. Talitha kum literally means little lamb, get up. Little lamb, get up. It's a tender term of, of endearment. We often give little children, don't we, uh, animal names as terms of endearment. When they get older and less cute and they misbehave, we give them different names. But when they're young, we give them little animal names to describe them. In verse 42, we read, 
immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. Jesus' miracles are instantaneous and complete. No recovery needed. She's not drowsy like waking up after a, a deep sleep or coming out of an anesthetic. She doesn't need a, a double shot espresso or a Red Bull to wake her up. Not that you should give them to a 12-year-old anyway. Luke's gospel tells us that her spirit returned. Uh, with death, there's a separation of body and spirit. Our spirit, so, uh, our spirit survives death and our, our spirit is given a new body on resurrection day. But Jesus summons back her spirit and with the return of her spirit, her life was restored and she rose up. I just want to show you the end of that video. Do not be afraid. Only believe. She will be well. Jadis. Jadis. Let's go in. Please stay here. We will... She will be well. doing there's a girl she's dead go away for she isn't dead but sleeping <laughs> Michal. where were you i was finding this man she is dead and you were gone why would you just leave us? Trust me. Please trust me and trust him. For what? For what? Please. 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 I know. I know. No. <laughs>
At this, they were completely astonished. The mocking laughter turns to amazement. One can only imagine the emotional reversal that such an event would bring, right? They look at each other in wonder. What have we just witnessed? The girl was blue. She was cold. We saw her take her last breath. And now she is alive? He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Uh, her eating demonstrates that she has been fully and physically restored. This is not a hallucination. This is no vision. She has overcome death. Now, how could you not tell anybody about this? I mean, how could you keep this to yourself? Why does Jesus say this? Why does he tell them, don't tell anyone? Well, I think uh, well, we're not told why, uh, but there are at least two reasons, I think. Firstly, Jesus doesn't want people's focus to be on his miraculous healings. Even though they're amazing, he doesn't want the focus to be on them. That, that would distract the crowds from truly understanding his mission. Jesus knows that he's headed for a different kind of ministry than people will want from him. Uh, when... Uh, the crowds were looking for a Messiah with divine power who would overcome the Romans who were occupying Israel. They wanted a warrior. They wanted divine power who was a warrior. And after Jesus fed the 5,000, the crowd tries to take Jesus by force and make him that warrior leader. But that would prevent him from doing that which he came to do. Secondly, Jesus' popularity was already sky high. This miracle would now send it through the clouds. If word got to, got, got to the religious leaders, their envy of Jesus would, uh, would climb even further, their envy of his popularity. And their plot to kill him might be brought forward before Jesus had completed that which he came to do. And so he tells them to keep a lid on it. Otherwise, word will spread quickly. But it's going to be next to impossible to keep a lid on a person coming back from the dead. On what, because at one moment there's wailing, there's flutes, there's, there's howling. And then the next moment it's all stopped and the dead person is walking around. So it's going to be hard to put a lid on it. After Jesus' death and, death and resurrection, he then tells his disciples to go public, doesn't he? That's when it all changes after his death and resurrection. Until then, the full understanding of Jesus' mission is not known. Yes, Jesus is a powerful healer of disease and a reverser of death, but his miracles point to deeper truths about his identity, about his mission. His mission was to be the saviour, the conqueror of sin, the bringer of eternal life. He didn't come just to resuscitate, he came to resurrect. He didn't come to merely resuscitate people from the dead so that they would die again later on. He came to resurrect people to life for all eternity. And that's why Jesus doesn't make a habit of going around raising dead people, right? He didn't walk through the cemeteries of first century Israel and open up the graves. That's not what he came to do. There's only three occasions which we read about when he does extraordinary things like this. The widow's son in Luke 5, Lazarus in 
John 11 and Jairus' daughter. It's not till the cross and resurrection that you finally understand Jesus' mission. In today's passage, Jesus lost power so the woman could gain healing. On the cross, Jesus loses his life so we might gain eternal life. And the only way for Jesus to give us power and life was for him to go through weakness and death. After his death and resurrection, he then says, hey, go tell the world, tell the world that I offer forgiveness of sins. Now, if death is the final word on us, then all of life's actions really amount to nothing, don't they? If good people and bad people go to the same grave, the rich, the poor, the wise, the foolish, if death is the only thing that our future holds, then life is meaningless and pointless. Death is offensive because it says, all that I have done, all that I have achieved, all that I am, it's of no point, it's of no significance. I'm just for the grave. What place is death in the purposes of God? Because it is the purpose of God that we die. Death is the penalty for sin. Though it's not the final penalty for sin, because after death comes judgment by Jesus for our sin. If Jesus has the power over death, which he obviously does, then ultimately every person must eventually deal with Jesus. Every person. Death is not the chief end of humans. Facing and knowing Jesus is. Judgment day means that there's nothing that we do that is meaningless. Right? We, will held, we will be held accountable for everything we do. With Jesus, the full story is not birth, life, death. The, first, the full story is birth, life, death, life, eternal life. Even though one day your heart will stop beating, your lungs will stop breathing, even though you're going to pass through the physical door, called, the door called physical death, if you're a believer, Jesus has you by the hand and you will live with him forever. Even though you'll be six foot under one day, you're not just going to be fertilizer. If you're a believer, Jesus has you by the hand. The length of your living will not be diminished by your dying. It often appears to us that God is late. We pray and he doesn't answer when we want him to. God, I need you now. I need you right now. This is a crisis. But when God appears late, he's actually right on time. That's the way God works. Just because you find yourself in need, just because you've asked God to intervene, doesn't mean that he will move at the time that you want him to. It definitely doesn't mean that his absence is the absence of his care. Sometimes I think we have delusions of grandeur that we know better than God. There's likely crucial information that you don't know for why God is doing it the way he is. We ask God, why weren't you there? The answer, as it was with Jairus, is trust Jesus. The events are in God's control. Jesus has you by the hand. He has you by the hand. He's powerful and he's good. 
On the cross, Jesus gave up the hold of his father's hand that he had held for all eternity. He had to give up that hold if he was to save us. And he did. He gave up the hold of his father's hand to pay for our sins so that you and I would never have to give up that hold. He's powerful and he's good and he has you by his hand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is powerful and we thank you that he is good and we thank you that he has us by his hand. And we thank you that for the believer... The full story is not birth, life, death. It's birth, life, death, life. I just want to pray for those in our midst who have lost loved ones, those so close to them. And they've asked, where were you, God? Where were you? I just pray that you'd be with them, that they would know that you are with them. You have them by the hand. Father, we know because Jesus has power over death and ultimately every person must deal with him. Death is not the chief end of humans. It is facing and knowing Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, for each person here that we would be confident in facing Jesus in judgment. And we get that confidence from knowing our sins have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus through his death and resurrection. Like Jairus, I pray, Lord, that each one of us would trust and would not fear. And I pray it in Jesus' name. going to finish our time together with the Lord's Supper. I just want you to reflect on this beautiful story. It's a beautiful story that, that is a window into the very heart of our Lord and Saviour. It's a window into his heart. And I want you to think about Jesus on the cross. Jesus who had held his Father's hand for all eternity. And on the cross, he gave up that hold because he had to if he was to save you and to save me. He gave up that hold so that you and I would never give up that hold. I'll ask the helpers to come down. Let's come before the Lord. Father, we just thank you that the Lord Jesus was prepared to do that for us. And I thank you because of the Lord's death and resurrection. We will never lose the hold of Jesus. We do not deserve it, but we thank you for it. We come before you, Lord. We confess our sins to you right now. We're sorry for our sins, Father. 
We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that on the cross Jesus gave his body, Jesus shed his blood to make us right with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand and come and take by faith the bread and the cup. Please come and take, hold on to them. We'll take them together in a few moments. Please spend some time when you get back to your chair just reflecting what the Lord Jesus has done. In order to pay for our sins on the cross, Jesus gave up the hold of his Father's hand, whom he had held for all eternity. Jesus gave up the hold of his Father's hand so you and I would never have to.
Thank you, Jesus. stand and let's sing this last song together.
seat just for a moment. I'm going to ask Carson Johnston to come up the front. I just got an announcement to make and uh, a very exciting announcement. So uh, this is Carson Johnston. Um, some of you will recognise Carson. Uh, great to see you, Carson. Um, so uh, as you know, uh, uh, Jordan stepped down as a youth director in uh, July of this year. Uh, Peter Wiesk has been filling that uh, hole there for us and uh, we really want to thank Peter for his hard work in uh, holding that ministry together. Uh, um, but I've, I've got a great, uh, it's my great joy to announce that Carson will be taking over as youth director in, uh, for pretty much from now and uh, going into 2024. Uh, and so why don't we give uh, Carson a round of applause. Uh, Carson's just completed a degree at Trinity uh, Theological College and so he's fresh out of college and he's, uh, uh, I can tell, speaking to him, he's, he's matured and he's, he's ready to go and he's, uh, not that you were immature before, but actually maybe you were, but uh, you know, he's ready to go and uh, we're really, really happy to have him on team and, uh, and, uh, and, and so I'd like to invite uh, um, the elders and uh, staff up here and anyone else who'd like to come and lay hands on Carson and we're going to commission him uh, to uh, lead our youth ministry going forward, such an important ministry uh, and uh, I'd love you to join me in that. Uh, you'll have plenty to hear from Carson, I haven't given him an opportunity to say anything now, but uh, you'll have plenty to hear from him in the future, uh, but we're going to commission him now, so would you like to join with me as we pray for Carson. Father in heaven, we thank you for this young man. We thank you that uh, you have been working in his life, growing him into the likeness of Christ in character. And Father, as he takes on this new role, I just pray that you would give him the character, the conviction, the competency to be able to lead the youth, to be able to lead the youth leaders. And I pray, Lord, for the lives that he has responsibility over, Lord, that he would care for them like a shepherd cares for his sheep with you as the over-shepherd of his ministry. And so we commit him to you, we commit his ministry to you. We pray, Lord, that you would pl be pleased to use him in a mighty, mighty way. We pray that you'd protect him from the evil one. And Lord, we look forward to seeing how you might use him in the years to come. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, parents of youth, uh, Carson will uh, uh, be contacting you very soon to be talking about his plans for the future. I've been asked by one of our congregation who uh, his story has touched, I know because of happened in their own lives and so I'm going to share with you as uh, we finish from Isaiah chapter 57 verses 1 to 2. The righteous perish and no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. I pray, Lord God, as we leave. Please 
Please stand. Father, I pray that we, we may be those who are righteous and walk uprightly this week with the hope that with Jesus, the full story is not birth, life, death, but it's birth, life, death, life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.